it's going to be up here. Um, so this is the same psalm that we just read, but it's in a paraphrased translation, and it says this. It seemed like a dream. Too good to be true when God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed. We sang. We couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rain to our drought-stricken lives. So those who planted their crops in despair will shout, yes, at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. I love this translation because I think, like I said, it so perfectly captures the spirit of what this psalmist is trying to, to, uh, to remind the Israelites of um, when they make this, this journey, this ascension. It says at the end of this first half of the psalm here, God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. Uh, This psalm is about what it is to be a really happy person. And it seems that uh, the people of God are a people who are known primarily by their joy and their happiness that they experience. And so this morning, that's what we're talking about, about what it looks like to be this happy what it looks like to have this kind of joy, to be so filled with joy that other groups of people would look at your group of people and say, man, they are one happy people. When we talk about being happy, when we talk about having joy, what are the kinds of things that make us, that make people in the world in which we live really, really happy? Where do we find joy? Where do we find happiness in life? Most of us find, we mostly find happiness in this world in things that we consider to be good, things that we consider to be things that bring joy, experiences that we consider to be really, really good. Happiness is circumstances that go really, really well and thus bring us joy. It is It is abundance, and it is plenty. It is having not just enough, but more than enough. Happiness is is people and relationships who love us, friends who choose us. Happiness is security. It is safety. Happiness is the absence of fear. Happiness, the way we understand it, comes to us from the outside of us, It isn't something that just automatically exists within us. Maybe adorable, sweet, cute babies are happy. But then they learn the ways of the world. Beats it out of them. And we come to discover that joy and happiness aren't just there automatically. And so we, as others do, look wherever we can for things that will give us this thing that we so desperately long for and need. It makes sense to us that, that these are the things that bring us real, genuine joy and happiness. We certainly celebrate all of those things I just listed. We celebrate and we spend a lot of time in life trying to get them. 
But the question is, of course, is that where real joy comes from? No, it's not. There, that's simple. To be a group of people who are filled with such a profound sense of joy that people would look at us and say, man, they are one happy people. It is not to find happiness and joy in all of the things that we would typically look to finding it in, things that are outside of us. Because these things do not inherently lead to happiness and joy, actually. Here's how I know. How do I know that you can't find this kind of happiness and joy in all those things I listed off, which seem like kind of everything? Because I know lots and lots of people have gotten to know, have met, been close to, and been myself one of lots and lots of people who have experienced a great abundance of these things and are still not happy. You can know a person who has more money than anybody, and that person is not happy. You can find a person who experienced great safety and security, and that person is not necessarily going to be happy. You can find someone who uh, lives in a place that is wonderful and perfect and amazing, where the sun shines more than one month out of the year, you know, all put together. <laughs> if, you know, you add them all up, you know. I just spent the week, I was in, I was in, I was in a beautiful place in Montana this last week. And, and I got there, and as I was leaving the airport, somebody sent me a message, and they said, why do they call it Big Sky Country? And I walked out and was like, this is why. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and, and yet, honestly, people were not just skipping down the street, holding hands, whistling. You would not look at everyone there and say, man, they are one happy people. You can have an abundance of any of those things and not necessarily be a joyful person. In fact, you can be pretty unhappy and have a lot of the things that we think of. You can even have a big family. You can even have uh, no, no concern or worry uh, to your safety or great fear and still be that way. And the reason for that is because these things that I just mentioned don't in any way, directly actually lead us to joy and happiness. Usually it takes a, a bit of life to realize this, and when you do, you might find yourself feeling kind of discouraged. The author Truman Capote uh, once said in a famous quote that, uh, that more tears are shed not over unanswered prayers, but over answered prayers. Speaking to the fact that often it is when we receive the thing that we want the most that we then have to live in the reality of knowing that it doesn't bring us the kind of joy that we thought that it ultimately would, or that that joy was not as lasting as we thought that it would be. You see, real joy and real happiness, the kind that makes us one happy people, comes from something outside of just these things that we can obtain. This last week, I was... Um, Yesterday, or I think the day before, I was texting back and forth with Pastor Justin, and um, he just looked up right now. He's like, oh, no, right? Uh, he's like, wait, what was it? What did I say? And uh, Justin and I have been doing some fishing lately. Justin went up to Trillium a couple weeks ago with the seniors, caught 21 fish. Right, Justin? 21, right? 
So the high schoolers taught Justin, I guess, no, I don't know. Um, and then I went up, and uh, he told me the exact spot, exactly what to use, and I went up, and me and my son caught, like, the biggest fish I've ever seen in my entire life. It was too big for our net. Everybody thought we were rock stars. My son immediately respected me and will never not respect me. He <laughs> considers me some kind of a superhero. Uh, uh, it was amazing. It was epic. And so Justin went up there, and he was fishing on Friday, and he texted me, <laughs> and he texted me this. He, uh, Can't catch anything. That's all I got. Can't catch anything. None of you know how this feels, right? So discouraged. He said, well, people on my left and right are getting them. And I said, that's just about the worst feeling that there is. (laughs) He said, one guy caught his limit in like two hours. So I took his spot. Nothing since he left. And then, and this is why, you know, it pays to be friends with a pastor, because they're going to make it spiritual. And I said to him as an encouragement, the good news is that even if you don't catch any fish, God still loves you. And Justin, in his moment of weakness and despair, questions the goodness of God and says, in honesty, does he though? And then I began to have this existential, you know, kind of crisis and wonder. And I said back, I said, no. (laughs) I said, if he did, he'd give you a fish. And he said, that's what I thought too. And it gets even worse. I said, I'm pretty sure Jesus even sometimes gave people fish full of money. And then he said, I'm pretty sure my wife won't love me either. There's something about standing there all day trying to catch a fish, right? And you're like, I'm not getting anything, and I want one so bad. And so, of course, you know, the reminder that the good news is that it isn't really about the fish that you catch, how many fish that you catch, because God still loves you. Now, just so you know, we were joking, okay? I do not believe that God only signals his love to us by giving us things like fish when we go fishing. Um, That is not our theology, both Justin or I. But it's funny because you go do something like this, and you're so desperate to catch something like a fish, and when you don't, you just feel like, what the heck was I doing? What was the point of this whole thing? This is so discouraging. The truth of the matter is you don't go fishing because you desperately need fish for dinner, okay? Uh, if you did, you'd go to the store and you'd buy some fish in the day and age in which we currently live. You'd go, go to the store, go to Costco, get a bunch of fish, you know, with, uh, with all the eyeballs poked out, because that's what my kids do when they go to Costco. They poke all the eyeballs out of the fish packages. Come on, you've never done that? You've never? Gosh. They don't break the plastic, don't worry. They do. They break the plastic almost every time. Uh, you take a picture with your kid, and you'd go, uh, you'd go, oh, look, we caught a fish today, right? If that's all that you cared about. No. No. The reason that you go is because this is where he was standing when he was catching fish, right? That 
is a good fishing spot right there, right? But here's what's so funny, right? Like you can stand in that spot and you could be there all day and you can get so frustrated and so wrapped up and so like watching people left and right of you catching them and you have to stop and look up and actually be like, oh, yeah, this is the reason why I'm here. This is why I came to this spot to do this thing. There's something more than just what I actually get on my line. You don't go fishing because you desperately need fish for dinner tonight. You don't go golfing because you desperately need to qualify for some kind of a tournament, not most of you. You don't start a garden because you know that come summertime, you are not going to be able to get your hands on a zucchini if you don't grow your own. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll get your hands on a giant zucchini because everyone's getting rid of those, right? But uh, you don't start a garden because come summertime, you're worried you're not going to have any vegetables anywhere. You're not going to be able to get your hands on them. You don't go on vacation with your kids because you desperately need some photos of you and your kids on vacation. Maybe moms and grandmas go on vacation for that reason, like a family photo, you know, because that's kind of been my experience a little bit. It's like, it's like no matter what we do on this vacation, we're getting a family photo, and that's what I want to take away from this thing. So just give me this thing that I want, and I'll make the whole thing happen if I have to. But for the most part, we don't actually go on these things just because we're like, huh, what should we do this year so that we can get some nice photos to share with everybody, right? We don't do these things because of those specific things that we take away from them. There's something else that drives us to do them that is more important to us that brings us a greater sense of joy or happiness than actually receiving the thing itself. True happiness and joy. The question is, where do we find it? Where do we find this profound sense of joy that causes us to be such happy people? And we read about where they found it, the people, God's people in the Old Testament. It said, it seemed like a dream, too good to be true. And God, when he what? When he gave us something that we wanted, not just that, it says, when God returned Zion's exiles, we laughed and we sang and we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. So let's just stop right there for a second. Before we even get to what people said about them, the experience of being the Israelites, being freed from slavery and bondage, was they found themselves asking themselves, saying to one another, is this a dream? Is this too good to be true? We cannot believe our good fortune. We all know what it's like to experience something that seems so incredibly good and beyond what we would even expect that we actually go, am I dreaming here? This is beyond what I would expect. And this is what God gave to his people that gave them this profound sense of joy. Where did they find joy? Real joy came from freedom. It came from being a people who were enslaved and were then set free. And becoming free, no longer living in bondage, finding themselves one day building bricks 
with, uh, with not even the materials they used to have to build bricks with, slaving away for the Egyptians, the Israelites were, this entire generation of people born in slavery, they only had ever known bondage and slavery. To find themselves then free in the wilderness, not only that, but watching their very enemies be crushed by the Red Sea. Showing them that there is no way that you will be returned to bondage yet again. All they had ever known was slavery and bondage. And when they received freedom and deliverance from that, they experienced an absolute, like identity-altering sense of joy. And this is where real joy comes from. It doesn't come from the things that we get. It doesn't come from the stuff we accumulate. It doesn't come even from the fish that we catch. Real joy comes from something much bigger. It comes from ultimately becoming free at last and finally. And when we become free, when we experience true freedom in Christ, the way the Israelites did when they were saved from their oppressors and bondage, then what other people would say about them is this. It says they were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. And we are one happy people. They are one happy people because they have experienced finally being liberated. How do you know that someone is a Christian? Is it because of their obedience to rules? Is it because of their self-discipline? Is it because of their, uh, how good they are at judging things? Is it because of how angry they are? They're, they're angrier than everyone else, you know, because they should be, because they have the truth. Is it because of how afraid they are? They're more afraid. They know to be more afraid than everyone else, maybe because their eyes are open and God's given them this awareness of all of the evil that's out there. You only see this much. They see this much. Is this how we know someone is a Christian? in terms of how they live. The way that the people of God were, were known to be the people of God was by the joy that they lived that was somehow totally different from the happiness and joy that other people had. While everyone else on the earth is trying desperately to fill themselves up with anything they can find on the outside of them that will make them happy for a couple of minutes, maybe days. God's people instead were ones who experienced such profound joy because they were no longer slaves. You see, the truth of what the Bible tells us and this is so important. This is the most important thing you'll hear all morning as we're in this passage. Is that we are born into bondage if we live in the flesh in a fallen world, which we all do. We are born into slavery just as these people, this generation of people, these Israelites were. 
And what it looks like to be born into bondage and slavery is this. We are so desperate for something to fill the hole that only God can fill within us. That is not filled by God because we live in the flesh and we're, we're, we're living in a fallen world. We are so desperate to fill that hole with other things that we will become a slave to anything else that we look to for freedom. And we live in a world in which everyone, everyone is desperate to find joy and fulfillment and, and becomes a slave to whatever things we will find that in that are not God. If you are looking for happiness and joy in something other than God himself, you will experience a fleeting sense of it, but you will ultimately become a slave to whatever those things are. You will become a slave. And in, in, in just in the exact same way that an addict will take momentary pleasure from a substance or a thing, and yet others will look at them from the outside and, and wring their hands and shake their head and lament because this person is under bondage to this thing. It has become their master. According to Scripture, and it's a bold claim, everything can become a master to you that you seek joy and happiness in other than God. Does it ever feel like you live in a world in which everyone is just desperately trying to find something to be happy in and will do whatever it takes to reach that? That we are tearing each other apart because of our conflicting uh, pursuits of the things that make us happy that we want in the world that we want to live in, that we want to construct because we believe this is the only way that we can find joy. Real joy comes from freedom. Knowing that you are free in Christ, knowing that God is the source of your happiness, brings you a sense of freedom that lasts far beyond the momentary freedom, the momentary happiness that comes from any other thing. But this passage, this, this psalm, tells us something else about joy, and it's not what you would experience to read in a thing that's talking about joy. Uh, the question then becomes, if joy comes from freedom, then how does it increase? How does it grow? If, if you're a Christian today and you're saying, okay, good, I have it then. I have freedom in Christ. I have been liberated. I am able to live in God and not need these things for those reasons. Then is there a way that that joy could even increase? And good news, this psalmist themselves is speaking to something that the authors of Scripture continue to speak to, which is, yes, joy does increase and grow. There is a way that it can grow, but it's the opposite of what what you would think it is. Real joy, according to this psalm and other things that we read in scripture, grows out of pain. What? Real joy grows out of pain. It actually increases through suffering. You say that is math that does not add up. That makes absolutely no sense. You do not know what you are talking about if you make a statement like that. We read this in the second half of this psalm. And now God, the people say, do it again. The dreams that were too good to be true, the things that made us so happy, one happy people, God, do it again. 
Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. So those who planted their crops in despair will shout yes at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. The psalmists are coming to God in a particularly difficult set of circumstances. And they're remembering what God did before and how profoundly good that was. And they're saying, now God, do it again. Why are they in a place that they're saying that? Because life has gotten hard. Because the life of a person who would find themselves on this journey to the Holy Land, who would be reciting the Psalm of Ascent, one of God's people, has been dealing with being exiled from land, living far away from the Holy City, feeling alone in a world full of people who think they are crazy. They deal with drought. They deal with sickness. They deal with... Uh, Poverty, and they deal with crime and dishonesty. They deal with all the same things that we deal with, and it's actually a lot worse for them. And so this person, talking to God, singing out this psalm to God, is saying to God, God, I want you to save me again like you saved me before. Nothing else is going to save me from all of these things but you, and I know that you can do it again. You see, the way that our world approaches happiness is this. Get these things and you'll be happy. The way our world approaches happiness is this. Avoid other things and you will be happy. The other way that we try to find happiness, we try to pursue joy, is very simple. We avoid everything that hurts when life gets hard, when things get difficult, when the pain comes, when we find ourselves the victim of something that we should, don't think we should be the victim of, we immediately run the other way, we immediately deny it, we immediately fight against it, or we do everything we possibly can to avoid it from happening in the first place. What is the easiest way to ensure a happy life? Avoid pain. Seems obvious. That's not what we see in the Bible. What the Bible says to us is if you want true joy and real happiness, you will actually lean into pain. And what the psalmist describes it as being is sowing, sowing pain, sowing difficulty, and trusting that it will grow into something good. The very tears that come from our eyes when we suffer, watering the ground that God can grow into something good. This is one of the hardest things to do. But the good news of, of, of being a Christian is that pain has a purpose. Is that it is not wasted. And it is not just something that can rob us of all the things that could make us happy if we weren't at risk of losing them because of how life is going right now. There's an immediate sense to this, uh, this idea of the Negev Desert, which is a desert that is completely dry. And in a dry desert like this, there are these ravines and these channels that would normally hold water when it rains, but they aren't holding water most of the year. So they spend most of the year dry and parched. And it's hard to believe, it's hard to imagine something like this. Most of the year, no water, but it happens in some places. And in these deserts, you would go out there and you would think, there is no life here. There is nothing good that can happen here. I need to leave this place and go somewhere else that is better. 
What the psalmist says and said is, God, you can bring rain to the Negev, and when rain does come to a desert like that, here's what happens. Those, those areas that are carved out immediately become rivers and streams. If you've ever seen pictures of what it looks like, the before and after of a rainstorm in a desert, it is a lot of rain and everything turns very green. And a place almost immediately, it seems, relatively immediately, goes from being this dry, arid place where no life could possibly be to a place that is filled with life and abundance. It can happen immediately, but it, and it can happen slowly. And here they talk about a person sowing in pain and reaping in joy. Uh, a person who is, who is uh, these are people that lived in an agricultural time. They're the primary way that people lived and earned money and provided for themselves and their families and their community was by growing crops. And if you've ever grown crops, you know that sowing is no fun. Planting the seed and watering and doing all that work is not very fun. And you do it all in anticipation that eventually down the road it will, it will produce something that is abundant and fruitful and you will reap a reward in joy. The days of tilling the soil and working the soil are hard and hot and painful. And the days of reaping the reward, reaping what comes from it, are joyful and happy and filled with abundance. What the psalmist is saying is they're saying to God, they're crying out to him. They're saying, God, uh, because you have freed me, as I live in this free life that you've given me, God, I want this joy to increase even more. And I am in circumstances that are hard, that are painful, that are difficult. The good news, the good news that we see here is that if we want to be a happy people, if we want to be the kind of people who have this kind of joy, then when we suffer, we say, how can I lean into this thing? How can I sow these seeds? And rather than just avoid it and ignore it, try to cope with it by masking it, by, by doing things that will distract me, that will, that will take my mind off of it, by denying that it's even there and never giving word to it, or by doing everything I possibly can to make sure it never, ever, ever happens again. Instead, we live in it. We live through it. We work through it. God brings us through it. And as a result of that, our joy grows. Paul says this in Romans 5. We read this months ago in our study in Romans. This is the response of a person who lives the gospel out. The first verse of this is just the gospel. It's Paul restating it, which he does in Romans a lot. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been saved. We have freedom now. He goes on and says then, through him we have also obtained something. This is very good news. Access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, joy is not just about what God did in the past. It is also about what we know God will do in the future. And our joy is rooted in those two things. Not only that, says Paul, it gets better. There's more benefits. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces something. It produces something. I mean, is that how we think of suffering? Do we think of suffering as producing anything? No, suffering takes away. It robs and it kills. That is all suffering could ever do. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. We're like, oh, I don't really care that much about endurance. I'm definitely not that into character. I mean, it'd be nice, but I'd rather just not suffer. But then you get to this last one, and you're like, well, you know, hope does sound like something I'd like to have. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What grows joy, this kind of profound joy and happiness, is pain and suffering. And so when those things come, and they will, as they so often do, Rather than running from it or trying to cope with it in some unhealthy way, trying to mask it in some other way or deny that it's even there, rather than obsess and do everything we can to make sure that we can avoid pain at all costs like so many around us, we instead lean into it knowing um, that, that, joy, that, that that pain and suffering, we're like, we're like planting it into the ground. And we're like working the soil and the, the tears are watering it. It's so epic. It's so dramatic. And I know you're like, ah, it's just pretty dramatic. Like, I don't get that upset about things. Well, if you haven't, you will at some point, I promise you. This is even something that we see with Jesus himself. When he himself suffers, when he himself goes through pain and suffering, he chooses to give those things back to God, to lean into those things, and God is glorified through those things. It is a mystery. It is a mystery, like a legitimate mystery of God, how he takes our suffering and turns it into something good. But he does. And sometimes it takes more faith to trust that he's going to do that than anything else. To trust that when we're suffering, God will use it, use it, and grow us, and produce in us something that we desperately need, that our world is completely lacking in, hope, hope. What kills it? Because why not end on a negative note? What kills this happiness, this joy? that God offers us in the gospel? What kills this joy that, that seems so indestructible that even suffering and trials don't have to kill it? Nothing steals your joy. Nothing robs your joy, robs you of joy faster than letting people Letting circumstances or letting things become greater than they really are. What robs us of this so often is when we allow anything else to become bigger and more significant than God intended it to be in our life. When, when we had young children, our house got just completely destroyed every day. And uh, I, know, I know yours didn't when you, if you have young kids, but ours did. It was really, you know, they're just really destructive, I guess. I don't know. Everything was everywhere. And one of the things that we learned was that in order to have some kind of peace of mind um, to keep sane in life, that no matter how much time it took, 
and we ended up getting pretty good at this and we could do it kind of quickly. Ellie and I just had to put everything that was kid-related somewhere that we couldn't see it and then choose to spend some time in a room where we couldn't see it. So we just, we would go through the house and we had to put everything kind of away, you know, in these main areas that we were living in. We kind of built these toy bins where we could just shove a bunch of stuff. Uh, but a lot of that ends up being uh, walking around with things and putting them in all these random places. Like, how did all this stuff get out today, right? But it did. Uh, this is really uh, obvious. Like, when, like, it's obvious that this is a need or something that happens if you ever have a two-story house and you have stairs because stuff gets put on stairs, right? And so, like, it's like stuff's always lining stairs because, like, I'm not going to go up there, so I'll just put this on this step, and then I'll put this on this step, and then once somebody goes upstairs and trips over all this stuff, maybe they'll take it up there. Kids don't do that. Parents find out. They'll just walk right over it. They'll jump over it. They'll fall over it. They'll kick it over. They won't take it up there. But what we did every night in order to keep our sanity was we went around and we put everything in its right place. That helped us feel just a little bit more sane every night as we recharged the batteries and got ready for another day of whatever this was going to be. Everything has a place that it belongs. And putting everything in its place sometimes takes time. But what robs us of joy it was when we allow things that belong in one place to be in another place in our lives. When we allow anything or anyone to become what God should be in our life. It's so easy to slip into this. We find ourselves in seasons of life where we're not feeling joy. We're not feeling happiness. Like, like we read about in Scripture, that kind of profound happiness that produces hope. And we go, why am I feeling this way? Why am I experiencing this thing? And most of the time, it can be traced back to, it is because I have been looking for that in something else. And usually what happens is we start to experience an abundance of a thing. And then we get dependent on that thing. You know, you finally do uh, get recognition in your job, and you finally do get more respect that you feel like you deserve. You finally do get a promotion that you've been waiting for for so long. And next thing you know, if you're not careful, you find yourself walking down the road of finding your joy in that thing. And then as it inevitably does let you down, you go, why am I not feeling what I did before? Why am I not experiencing this kind of happiness that I did before? We, we invest in our families, we love our families, we care about our families so much as we should. God gives them to us as these gifts. And, and yet, if we make the mistake of elevating those things to being what we take our joy in primarily, they will begin to rob us of it. The things that go on in the world around us are only supposed to affect us so much. Because we do not ultimately belong to this world. We belong to another. We are citizens of another kingdom. We are sojourners in a foreign land. And so rather than hold the things that happen loosely, we grab onto them tightly. We get so invested and wrapped up in them, so fearful about them and anxious about them, that we, we thinking that maybe if we do that, we'll be able to create an environment or a situation where things will be better and we'll be happier and more joyful. And what we find instead is that we need to let go of holding on to things in that way. Because it's when we hold on to them in that way that we experience this joy kind of fading away, kind of, kind, of, kind of creeping away. It is so easy for this to happen. And rather than um, do the easy thing, 
which is, which is open up the Bible and maybe, maybe explain how there are people and things and situations in the world that will rob you of your joy. And so you have to be careful of those people and those things, and you have to avoid those people and those things. You have to plan well. You have to think well. You have to be more disciplined than everyone else. You have to be a little bit smarter than everyone else. You have to use the, the, the rules that are in the Bible to live a life that will help you avoid all of that stuff. That As easy as that might be to say, and as easy as it might be to go out and try to start doing today, the truth of what Scripture actually tells us is that it does not work that way. There are not just people out there and circumstances out there, and there are not even pain and suffering and loss that are responsible for robbing us of true joy in Christ. It is when we allow those things to rise up and sit on the throne that God is supposed to have in our lives. You see, the thing about this that is so huge is that when God is the source of our joy, when we primarily see ourselves as people who are celebrating freedom above all else, this week, we, we celebrate, tomorrow, we celebrate Independence Day, the 4th of July. And, and we celebrate living in a country where we can be free, where we have liberty. It is not a perfect country. There are other free countries in the world. We're not the only one. But the truth is that to take for granted the fact that we are not enslaved, the fact that we are able to live in freedom, is, there's a reason we stop and we celebrate it. And we celebrate it even when we're not entirely happy with where our country is at any given time. And we do that because we recognize that freedom's important and that it's not something that we should take for granted. As Christians, we have the incredible blessing and benefit of living in freedom. We were once slaves, and now we are redeemed, now we are free. And when we are reminded of that, when we live in that, and we allow that to be the source of our joy, we become people who live differently. And now, here's the great part about it, everything else becomes like a bonus. We can enjoy our families the way we're meant to without them being the thing that we need in order to be happy. We can enjoy our money, and we can enjoy our jobs and our respect that we earn from others. We can enjoy the accomplishments that we have. We can enjoy the things that we're good at that people tell us they appreciate about us. We can enjoy the relationships with other people. We can enjoy the vacations that we go on. We can enjoy God's creation in nature. We are free to enjoy those things because we hold them loosely, because they are like the cherry on top. And that is how we are meant to enjoy those things. It's when we find life in God and in the freedom that he gives that we can truly be these profoundly happy people. Let's pray and continue.